Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the British English Podcast. In this episode, I managed to get a TV presenter on the show to talk about the music scene in the UK and to give you some advice on how to get involved in it all. The idea of this episode came about when a student told me that she went to a music festival and found that so many of the people there were native English speakers. And of course, it's where we all gravitate towards. So, If you ever feel like you're unable to find a native English speaker when you come to the UK, a top tip might be to get yourself to a music festival. So as I said, we have a guest speaker and this guest is not only a TV presenter who occasionally pops up on my phone in social media interviewing famous artists, but he himself is very knowledgeable about the music scene in the UK. He was also very close with a man called Jamal Edwards, who very sadly passed away recently. But uh, Jamal Edwards, he set up a hugely successful music platform called SBTV in 2006 and was credited with helping to launch a string of UK music acts to stardom, including Ed Sheeran and Jesse J. So our guest today is Aaron Roach. Bridgman. And I know him from a non-profit that we both worked at back in 2014, where we were mentoring some teenagers. But we get into that in the conversation. So without further ado, let's get into a conversation around the music scene and music festivals in the UK with the TV presenter himself, Aaron Roach Bridgman. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm fine, mate. How are you? How's it been going? Yeah, all good, all good. Yeah, it's been a long old time, hasn't it? Oh, mate, listen, pandemic stole two years of our life. And then before that, it's just kind of getting into your 30s and starting to structure and starting to to adult, as they call it. You know, we're adulting now, aren't we? We are. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you more than me, because you let slip that you've got a child now. Yeah. yeah. That fast tracks everything, doesn't it? Yeah, you no longer have a life of your own. <laughs> your life becomes dedicated to that little being that looks like you. And, <laughs> yeah, and that's literally about it, man. You know, I think a lot of us didn't know what to do during the pandemic, so I found something to do. And what I did was was quite productive, let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit worried or a bit concerned how similar she is to you. <laughs> yeah, is it just a is... spitting image of you? <laughs> spitting image and also attitude like I was quite a troublesome young man I was a little bit I didn't like authority I didn't take too well to being told what to do and my daughter is exactly the same (laughs) (laughs) if not worse (laughs) hilarious so your daughter is what coming up to two or three years old yeah she is 18 hold on wait where are we now July uh, February, March, April, May, June, July. She is 17 months. Right. 17 months. She's 18 months next month. When do we let go of the months? Is it at well, two? It's hard. I don't know. Do you know what? I, I used to feel like people that did that are absolute imbeciles. <laughs> yeah. But do you know what it is? It's so hard to calculate how old your child is. For a while, I was just saying she's a little bit over a year and a half. <laughs> oh, she's just over a year. But now it's like, well, because there's other people that are parents, they understand where, you know, processes and progress of the child is at a certain time. You have to kind of say the months. Oh, so she's, um, she's, she's, she's starting to become a bit more picky now. Oh, she's like, yeah, you know what I mean? There's all these expectancies. But I always tell parents, please do not put any expectancies on your child. 
Every child will move at their own pace. Some child, some children will be really slow at the start, but then they might have a mad, super fast track and become really advanced really quickly. So uh, I'm going to drop the mumps. You're right. Yeah. My child is nearly two years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally respect that when once you're involved in parenting every single month, <laughs> it's not only important, yeah. but it probably goes really fucking slow, right? Oh, <laughs> So you've been productive uh, during lockdown. And then... Um, so let's go back a little bit. Um, can you tell the listeners when we met and how we met? So we met quite a few years ago, actually. Approximately what? Maybe it's about seven years ago, six, seven years ago. I think. Is it more I than think that? It was 2014. So that is about seven years ago. No, eight, eight years ago. Eight, yeah. Eight years ago. We're getting old, Charles. <laughs> Bloody hell. But yeah, we met about eight years ago. We were both signing up to one of the, the craziest summer programs that has existed in the history of the UK. It's a program where we step into the role of mentors to take 15, but to be honest, 45 or 60 young people on a journey of exploration, maturation, and uh, absolute chaos <laughs> for, a, for a summer period. And you do that with a few, actually you do it with more than 60, you do it with a, possibly nearly around, maybe even about nearly 200 if depending on how many you do during the summer yeah, yeah. we and were mentors weren't we and we had like a at about that time, 12 yeah people to look after exclusively yeah. that were ours exclusively but then you have like a bigger exactly. a bigger group and um charlie was smart he did that and left it again i did it a few more times but at different ah. levels I, I ended up becoming a behavior specialist so i became one of the first behavior specialists in the whole company in the whole country so my role along with another lady who did it as well, were the pilot roles. And what we fed back to the company then became what they created the role out of. So um, after meeting you, I started to specialise in behaviour and I became a behaviour specialist. I specialised in dealing with challenging behaviour in young adults. Wow, yeah. fascinating. I yeah. didn't know that. That's really cool. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you did that. Is the challenge still running? We now have an official app released for the British English podcast. You can now listen to this podcast on the new app and get all of the learning resources along with it. And for those of you who are just listening on your favourite podcast app, then I've got a present for you. Download the app, sign up to the course called Free Podcast Worksheets and you will find every single episode available for you to listen to along with the free worksheet for that episode. A huge resource right there waiting for you to enjoy. So go download it right now at your app store, either by typing in BEP, BEP, or the British English Podcast. Links are also in the show notes. Enjoy this episode. <laughs> is the challenge still running? The challenge has now lost the contract for the NCS. And now the NCS is still running, but it's done by different subcategory companies, so to speak. So it's uh, a lot of football clubs that are running it. So I've done quite a few bits with like Chelsea and Tottenham Hotspur. Um, but now I'm, I don't do any stuff within the company. But I now work with another company where I teach the um, young people how to do public speaking. I teach them how to utilize their voice. I teach them how to present and stuff like that. And where public speaking and presenting can become quite imperative in your life, whether it be to access opportunities through networking or, or auditions or, or, or interviews and um stuff like that yeah fantastic yeah (laughs) i can imagine that's quite rewarding for to to see somebody go from potentially a nervous wreck as a teenager to then flourishing in in being able to you know deal with the pressure of public speaking the the number one phobia of the world 
It actually is, yeah. And, and I actually go through that with them. I take them through the top 10 fears and public speaking is number one just after being broke. It's <laughs> 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 funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to be fair. Yeah. How, how busy are you with that? Because you've got a lot going on from what I can see on social. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. At the moment, like from having a year that was really dragging its feet and actually a year that started off pretty badly, if I'm really honest, like I was quite... Quite, quite a hard struggle at the start of the year. July, June-ish and July has gone crazy. So at the moment, I am running a program that I gained funding from my local borough to do with young black kids from my borough and taking them on a journey of leadership. And I'm actually doing a session today. For the last two days, I've been doing some stuff with uh, the company I told you about where we where we do the public speaking. I'm also managing a music artist and a DJ. I've been in three different countries in the last three weeks. Alongside that, I'm filming a TV show for Sky Arts at the moment. I'm also filming at a festival on Friday with BET. BET? BET. Um, it's an American uh, media channel, but we've got a, a, a UK version here as well. And they're owned by Viacom, you know, Viacom, who own Nickelodeon, MTV. Right. All of those, yeah. And then tomorrow I'm doing another session somewhere cr- crazily far in the country. <laughs> and then I'm going to come back home and then really late as well and then get ready to go again in the morning to the festival yeah so at the moment it's just really really and in between that i look after my child as well during the day while her mum's at work my so while her mom... me. <laughs> yeah yeah i get stressed <laughs> about oh god i've got one more episode to release this week <laughs> that's ridiculous you've got so i'm many... probably doing too much to be yeah, honest it sounds yeah, doing... like it oh yeah i forgot to tell you and, and i'm also doing um i work nights i, t- I spend my time consulting with a, with a with a home who um look after Young people who are no longer who are not with their families at the moment due to familial issues or even just um, behaviour or or even sometimes legal issues. So I actually just finished doing a night shift as well. So I've just come back from doing a night shift after I came back from doing the um work up north as well. Yeah. So I've literally been going for like three days nonstop. Mate, I yeah. I I don't have one, but if I had an MBE to hand out to you, <laughs> wow. Well, hats off to you. And thank you so much for sacrificing some precious time of yours to talk about music festivals. So you just mentioned that you you were at a festival. Which one was that? Well, I was at one in Portugal a few days ago. Ah, sorry, yeah. um, Which is called Afro Afro Nation. But I'm going to be at one this Friday called Wireless, Wireless Festival, which has now expanded into three different locations, Birmingham, London Hyde Park and they've also had a few dates in London Crystal Palace as uh, as of a week ago so yeah I'll be there on Friday doing a few interviews for your Vox Pops you know entertaining the people as we do <laughs> as you do yes as you do I know that too well okay I feel like I want to go a little bit further back and go to uh, your childhood to talk about the music industry and like the festivals that you yeah. experienced as you were growing up like yeah. when you were a child what was like could yeah. you describe like the music scene that you experienced that might shape the kind of conversation so I think being from London in the UK I think well I grew up around a lot of reggae music a lot of lovers rock a lot of soca music which are all music genres from the Caribbean. And those music genres were also present in the area that I grew up in, in England, in the UK. But I used to spend like whole summers back. I'm from Barbados. So I would spend whole summers back home in Barbados, which is where I would kind of, um, I guess, grasp onto that music and really um, take that in and soak it in more than what I would have a chance to hear. But when I was here, I grew up on garage music. Garage music, 
where I started to MC over the music. So I started to rap over the music before it turned to grime, where I really started to rap and MC during that period of time. I also, oh no, actually before that, I picked up hip hop. The first rapper that I listened to was Mace. And then I found Notorious B.I.G., who I became very infatuated with to the point where I wouldn't listen to Tupac due to the um, due to the differences that they had and me feeling like I had to choose a side as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old boy. <laughs> I remember find, I remember being given an Eminem CD and having my mind blown. I was like, I don't understand how this, this little white boy is rapping like this. It's one of the most phenomenal things I've ever heard. And the character... Is there something in the surprise that he was white? There was there was something there was something in the surprise that he was white, but also just the the level of ability in general. Like he was he he had mastered the art of characterization through rap, which isn't something that is common because rap was very much cheesemo. It was very much over over hyper-masculated uh, genre. Where not saying that Eminem wasn't um, wasn't masculine, but he wasn't afraid to take on the character and utilize the voice, such as an instrument, to bring different sounds and different things to life. It was just mind blowing at the time. Remember that this episode, just like every single other episode on this show, comes with a free worksheet where you get to see some of the best native expressions that come up in this very episode, along with definitions made for you a non-native learner. I've even designed it so that you can play the podcast episode on the same page as the free worksheet. It's super user-friendly, so head over to thebritishenglishpodcast.com right now and check out the free podcast worksheets or simply click on the link that says free podcast worksheets in the show notes of this episode. But if I'm really honest, I spent most of my time with Garage, like UK, Garage music, grime music. I was rapping myself, so I had to spend a lot of time with it. I had to study the music. I had to know what the beats were. And then... And for the listeners to maybe tune in to a few songs, what, what Garage songs would you recommend them Googling? Bloody hell. So if you Google 138 Trek, it's, I, I can't remember. Who, like, see, Garage music, it was all on white labels. Sometimes you had to kind of know what you were looking for because there wasn't like going and buying a CD that had a name on it. No, it was a white label, which means it had nothing on it. You play it and you're like, oh, I like that. You take it home. Sometimes it might tell you the name. I think a lot of the names I actually found out after where you've got on YouTube now and people are putting the names up. But type in 138 Trek. That is an incredible way for you to understand garage music. In terms of grime music, type in Wiley and instrumental. <laughs> like literally Wiley was very integral to the growth of grime music and the sound as a producer, as well as an artist. People don't realize that Wiley was a producer. Most things that people heard Wiley actually rhyme over was actually his own production as was dizzy rascal dizzy rascal was a very incredible producer as well as a young 18 year old boy like from east london and so yeah we got into that i think my trips back back home to barbados i ended up getting into uh, getting quite heavily into also the area that i'm from i got quite heavily into reggae and dancehall music so what what's the second genre reggae and dancehall music dancehall dancehall yeah I got quite heavily into reggae and dancehall music. They're both reggae forms that originate from Jamaica, uh, both music genres that originate from Jamaica. I got quite heavily into those. I was surrounded by it in the area that I'm from. I just really started to kind of really engage with the music. Vibes Cartel, I felt, was an incredible artist. Sizzler, incredible reggae artist. And obviously Bob Marley, um, who is the father, one of the fathers of the, of the genre as well. And then, bro, do you know what? After that, I went to U- University of Birmingham. And while I was there, this little genre of music started to appear called like funky house or uk funky and then that took me on a really interesting journey where i ended up enjoying the vibes that it created it was a very positive environment like i grew up in a time where some of the parties that i went to bros unfortunately they were shootings 
Like there were shootings. They were like in in the UK. Oh, in the UK, yeah, bro. Like I was in the party and somebody was literally shooting this close to my face into a crowd, bro. Like that's the kind of environment that I unfortunately grew up in. So when I've gone to these funky house parties and I'm just noticing that everyone is just really happy. Like a, a guy will step on your foot and rather it turning into an issue, he'd be like, "Hey, I'm sorry. Hey, like smiling." And I'm like, "This vibe is very different." So I I became infatuated with that, and then that took me on a journey. Was that the music or was that the combination of what that genre of music brought to the drug scene or anything like that? A combination. It was a combination. I didn't like the drug part of it because I was never really into Like I smoked a little bit of marijuana. I say a little bit. I smoked a lot of marijuana. (laughs) (laughs) But I I never really indulged so much in the drug side. I just really enjoyed the environment. The environment where everybody was happy, positive, smiling. I just really became entranced. I don't even know the word to use. I was I fell in I fell in love with the music, Chance? and then that took me on a deeper journey. So I went from funky house to we did UK funky. I used to do a radio show where I used to like host the show, spit a few rhymes over some of the um, instrumentals. But then I got deeper into soulful house. I got deeper into deep house, deep tech house. I became a househead, which is very unheard of for someone who is into reggae, dancehall. Usually, you wouldn't find that person also being into house music, but I did. Loved house music. Went to Ibiza. Went to a lot of house parties. Egg. Why would people not assume that somebody who's into reggae, etc., would not be into house? I want to let you know about an activity I have created for you to access for free on the BritishEnglishPodcast.com slash freebies. It is a creativity exercise that helps you find ways to learn English whilst being in a state of flow. Being in a state of flow happens when we're totally immersed in an activity to the point where we pay no attention to distractions and time itself seems to pass by without any notice. I would say I am in my happy place when I'm in a state of flow because it allows my creativity to flourish. And I want to help you connect your learning experience with feeling this immense level of happiness that is entirely possible when studying. Who'd have thought it? Revising English can open up feelings of pure ecstasy. Don't worry, though, I'm not forcing drugs on you, but I am encouraging you to check out this new exercise I have created that will help you reach a state of flow, I mean flow, when learning English. Find the link in the show notes to thebritishenglishpodcast.com slash freebies. That is spelt F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S. And then click on the creativity exercise and we can all get high on life together. Back to the episode. Why would people not assume that somebody who's into reggae, etc., would not be into house? It's because just growing up, I think there was a choice. I feel like a lot of people from the genres of music that I also like, they call house dunce dunce music. Dunce, 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 dunce. And they see it as repetitive. They, like, you need to understand house music, for the most part, will have an intro that might be about two and a half minutes long. It hasn't even dropped yet. Some people haven't got the patience for that. The, the, the music scene that I come from, we call it juggling music. Juggling music is where you mix music, but it's quite fast. You get straight into the track and you might give about a minute, maybe 45 seconds, and you get into the next one. Juggle, quick, quick pace. House music is a crescendo. You have to give it time 
to reach its its peak. And then when you get there, it's euphoric, which is why so many people do drugs, because when that euphoria comes, you're also in your own euphoria. Do you know what I mean? So very different phenomenon uh, and feeling. But that is if you're a person who feels it. And I think, to be, to be honest, if you're a person that feels music like me, I don't see why it would be strange for you to be into them. I've got friends, I want to take them to, but they won't go to a house party or event with me because they can only take it for so long. They want to go to a mixed genre event. Right. So yeah. And then, so I got really deep into house, bro. Is there a demographic that you'd associate with house as opposed to the other ones that you were saying that don't match house? I think the deeper you go into the house, you do find that the demographic will tend to be more, probably end up being more majority white, the deeper you go into house. Because, you know, there is certain house, like soulful house, you'll find a, a mix. It might even be more black people. G house will be more black people. Deep tech house, you might find a, a, you might find, actually, you might find a nice mix. But the deeper you go into house, like proper house, even deep house or all the other terms they've got, they've got loads of subcategories. I think you start to find more of a, a genre that was more associated with a European audience anyway from its inception. Like I've gone to other countries and even sometimes the house that I listen to comes from Germany, Sweden, comes from France, Holland. They've all got their sounds and I've been to countries and seen how they dance to it. They dance differently to it as well. So it's something that's been within their culture for years where I feel like, I think as black people and white people as well, don't get it twisted. White people were always in our, in fact, nearly half half when it came to Garage. But I feel like Garage was our thing and House was theirs. <laughs> like we didn't, un- uh, we, didn't, okay. we didn't understand House at that time. We didn't understand it at that time. Maybe because it was a bit softer. We wanted something a bit deeper, darker. And to give a, f- a time frame, that's like the so mid nineties yeah. or mid like noughties. Yeah, house and garage, I would say was the was like yeah mid to late nineties. And then I think the resurgence with house music within a more a mixed environment, I would personally say, was from maybe around two thousand ten. I think Funky House oh. and UK Funky, as they called it, really opened the door up for urban crowds to enter into understanding and appreciating house music. Right. Okay. Yeah. Can you remember the first kind of festivals that you experienced going to these kind of genres? To be honest, my proper festival going started a lot later and, it's, okay. and it started off for work. I only really started going to festivals when I was actually there to present at them and to interview uh-huh. at them. If I take you back to my earliest festivals that I've attended as just an attendee, that would probably only be like Notting Hill Carnival and also the festivals that we have in my country as well, which is called Crop Over, which is like, it goes on for a duration of time, but like a month where we have different events. We have two major days where we have like a similar Notting Hill Carnival setup where the whole the whole capital city is just covered in people walking behind trucks and dancing and playing music from literally the morning until the night. And then we also have events in the stadium where people get crowned the champion of um of crop over due to a song that they've made being the most popular and stuff like that. But those were my my earliest. Didn't really appreciate them. Even Notting Hill Carnival. Notting Hill Carnival was more of a, a t- more of a place for you to try and see if you can meet some girls and just like get get on it and just you know what I mean if anything go home and you. I got I don't drink anymore. I haven't drank for over ten years, but I bro I got so smashed <laughs> one year in Carnival that there is a whole duration of time on that day that I have no cognizant memory of. In fact, I met one of my exes during that duration of time. I remember her phoning me saying, you don't remember me. And I'm like, who is this? Like, why are you playing games? I don't know who you are. And she's like, I'll send you a picture. And even when she sent the picture, I didn't recognize it. But I was like, she's very, very nice. I'll continue this conversation. (laughs) So you managed to hit on her twice. Bro, crazy. And so those are my earliest memories. Like, 
street festival, so to speak. I didn't really go to any structured festivals until I started working with SPTV, where they had me at they had me at Ibiza Rocks. They had me at uh, they had me in Croatia before Croatia took off as it is now. They had me at Wireless. They had me at uh, what was the other one? Oh man, I can't even remember now. There's another one. I'll give your brain some time to think about yeah. it. But let's go back a little bit to the no- Notting Hill Carnival yeah. kind of scene. Can you paint a picture for the audience? Yeah. What, what does Notting Hill Carnival mean? Notting Hill Carnival was a measure that was imposed, I believe, in the 60s or 70s. Don't quote me on the exact time. But with the influx of Caribbean people that came over to the UK and specifically London on Windrush, we came from countries where we celebrated yearly carnivals. So they wanted to start something over here that gave us the opportunity for us to celebrate our Caribbean heritage. And not just for us to celebrate it, but for people to see how we celebrate it. Notting Hill Carnival has always been an event that has been accepting and inviting to everybody. Like we love it when people from other cultures come and get to experience our music, our food. I know they love it as well because you always see lines at the food stores and stuff. My mum and dad used to do a food store themselves. They said it used to be crazy. And so ultimately, it's a carnival that celebrates our cultures, how we do. Like we have things in the Caribbean called Juve. It's a party, basically. A lot of us in the Caribbean, we come from French Caribbean islands as well, or broken French Caribbean islands. Hence the word Juve and Passé. Like this is what we do, man. We wake up first thing in the morning. They throw paint on each other. (laughs) Like they put on costumes, illustrious costumes that have plumage costumes. And of course, yes, the girls are wearing next to nothing. But it's not so so much about the next to nothing, Charlie. It's about the plumage of the costumes. Okay, that's what we focus on. Um, yeah, steel pan music. That is something that's part of our our culture. And you will hear a lot of soca music. You also hear dancehall and reggae as well. But soca was the initial staple music of the festival because that is where we came from in in fact a lot of the migrants that came over on the windrush um boat they were playing soca music with steel pans and stuff on the way here on the boat thinking that they were coming to a country that was going to be their brothers and sisters and was going to accept them as part of their populace but unfortunately when they got here they got a very a very different treatment from a lot of people unfortunately and on that note was the carnival uh, met with like acceptance or resistance at the beginning even to now they they're always trying to find a way to shut down carnival they don't like it they don't like really they don't like the fact that it's like it's there's too many variables it's too volatile and unfortunately there has been more like in more later years not not the beginning of carnival which is which is really why a lot of our you know the old people in our families do get quite upset because in more recent years there's been a lot of violence bad things have happened you know people have been seriously hurt and even lost their life but at the same time when you compare it to festivals as a whole like even like a glastonbury it's nothing on there like there is a lot of loss of life overdosing medical medical you know uh, emergencies much more at these festivals not to compare trauma or death because there's no comparison of, of loss of life but i'm just saying i find it very interesting that they try to zone in and and demonize notting hill carnival and events of that ilk because it seems to have more of a majority of a black populace, unfortunately. They've tried to stop it and they can't. The only thing that stopped it was the pandemic. And even that, we, we still went down there and tried to make something happen. But, like, <laughs> but the police were trying to move us on and stuff like that. And they had people that were, yeah, they, they were trying to, because they know what, Caribbean people, bro, we love a party anywhere. My fa- I used to have parties on the beach. Everyone used to bring a dish each. We all bring a dish each. We have a party on the bloody beach, bro. And then like, you know, you know what I mean? Someone's got a speaker. Someone's got an icebox. <laughs> That's what we come from. We come from making something out of nothing. And so I believe the carnival 
and the ethos of the people is is of that same mentality as well fantastic so i've been to the notting hill carnival a couple of times and i was amazed at how how like the local community gets involved with their own sound systems coming out their windows oh yeah you know oh yeah you've got the floats with the huge sound systems yeah and then the stages here yeah. and there. But you've also got like the neighbours that oh, just yes. somehow have a ridiculously big amp. And they're just like, yeah, this is for Notting Hill Carnival. We'll stick it out the window and we'll, you know, join in. That is, that's the culture. Like, bro, you need to understand that a lot of our our parents, grandparents were sounds. What we call in the Caribbean as sounds. They were sound- My dad as well. They know how to string up speakers. Even to now, string up speakers basically means how to connect the speakers via wiring to create a bigger sound and to create your own sound system. This is something that is intrinsically and and inherently part of our our growth and our culture you'd be hard pressed to meet somebody from the caribbean who hasn't got some sort of sound man or sound in their family that's just what we do my dad had thousands of records he wasn't even a dj or a sound man but that was just part of our our culture and um it's amazing i i still don't know how they do it these boys they can boys men old men sometimes like 70s 80s they know how to solder the wires and wire up these speakers to create this massive sound and yes they they still have them in their houses you find a 67 year old man with his speaker putting it out his window setting it up because they still know how to do it i find it so impressive sound culture is massive for me as well like sound culture in influenced a lot sound culture directly influenced garage and grime music what we did in garage and grime was a uk interpretation of what was being done in sound system culture in the caribbean you have two turntables you have a dj who is the focus and you have a person on the mic who is supposed to host and keep the audience bubbly this is a direct reflection of what they did with sound system culture and they still do to now then you had sound clashes where this sound system thinks he's better than that sound system so what they will do as clash to see who can play music better than the, cr- the crowd audience more in grime music we used to have clashes two mcs think they're better than each other so we will clash and even sometimes crews like so solid crew heartless crew they had a clash so solid crew pay as you go had a clash heartless crew and pay as you go had a clash this this is directly influenced by the Jamaican sound system, the Jamaican and the Caribbean sound system culture. It's really, really interesting. Even down to how we would be on the mic, very much directly influenced. To the point where in Jamaica, they don't call the guy on the mic an uh, MC, they call him a DJ. So even though he's rhyming, they'll call him a DJ. It's very interesting. There's a deep history to it. And it's been directly influential over what we have here in the UK and what we've built. But not many, some people don't take take the time to research it. If you do, it's a very, even ska music, ska music, two-tone music, punk music. These music cultures, they were born out of a direct influence of Caribbean culture. Skinheads originally were reggae music listeners. Skinheads weren't originally racist. Not that they all are now as well. We still have a skinhead movement now that have festivals that play reggae music. They have skinheads. Dr. Martin's Leveron. But originally, it was a very unifying scene. They enjoyed the music. It was a music that was born out of struggle. Like punk music was a music that was born out of frustration with society. In fact, punk music and grime music are synonymous. They are both music scenes that were born out of a frustration at society and also feeling ostracized out of society, feeling like they were a subculture, so they created their own music form to express that. 
it's very interesting the history it really is and the way that you're telling it is even more interesting the thing you touched on there was you know expressing yourselves because you're feeling repressed and and that i heard was uh you know in the 60s and and onwards why festivals became so big in the west like in america and and in england and glastonbury and like the isle of wight festival were born do you feel like those festivals the the mainstream ones include the music that you're talking about or you know they, they they're a different scene altogether i think a lot of those festivals are starting to include them now so glastonbury for the last few years has really embraced uh music ag- quite against the, pre- the preference of some of the performers and actual audience goers uh surprisingly but they have embraced it specifically and they have smaller stages as well where even one of my friends who's quite a big artist, he was performing at Glastonbury a few days ago, gets he was on a smaller stage, but still a very big bloody stage. <laughs> and then I think, you know, I think Glastonbury, the first time they made that kind of move was when they decided to have Jay-Z headline, which caused quite a stir. But um, that was quite, um, that was quite a big move. Kanye West as well, which caused quite a stir. It was quite a big move. And then now we've got our own Stormzy, who's managed to work his way up to the main stage as well. Those festivals, but what I find with those festivals is that when they do have other varying music forms, they'll tend to put them on a smaller stage or what they tend to do as well is maybe only have one or two or three. They don't want too many, but it's, it's, it's understandable. I think we've got to the stage now where we've got certain festivals where you can go to to see that person or those types of people, that types of music. I think it's even good alone that we're getting to the point where there's been a an amalgamation in a sense where other it's being embraced and they are getting booked. I think that one day we'll reach the stage where it's nicely mixed, but maybe maybe it doesn't need to be. I think some festivals are what they are historically. It's like Notting Hill Notting Hill Carnival. Even though we we do mix Notting Hill Carnival now, you can find all types of music at Notting Hill Carnival now. But I mean, if you try to bring in like try to over inundate it with non Caribbean music, it might get a bit confusing and it might be slightly frustrating. So if there are certain festivals like Woodstock and all these kind of things. And then you want to start bringing in all these rap artists rather than rock bands. For me, it's, it makes no sense. I don't think we should change the essence of what of what festivals and what things are. Okay, I see your point. If you were to sit down with a foreigner that would come into the UK and they want to get a glimpse of, of culture in the country or the countries that are united, where would you point towards for them to have a good time? We will leave it there for part one of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening up to this point. If you did want to listen to part two and part three of this conversation, then you can head over to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com and check out the premium podcast or academy memberships. The premium podcast gives you access to the full conversation along with extended glossaries, transcripts and flashcards, whereas the academy gives you all of that plus exclusive videos and audios for the season-based episodes, explaining the vocabulary, exampling them, giving you quizzes, writing assignments and weekly speaking classes on Zoom. But if you were just here for part one of this conversation, then I thank you very much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do grab that free worksheet by clicking the link in the show notes. My name's Charlie and I will see you next week on the British English Podcast.